and you're listening to the Consumer Call-In with me, Sinead Ryan, sitting in for Ivan this week. We're taking your calls from 6 to 7 uh, every evening with experts on consumer issues ranging from pensions to home renovations to mortgages. And today it is all about investments. Is there an ideal time to start investing your money? And what are the differences between investing and saving? Uh, do you have a retirement lump sum? Are you saving for college for your kids? If you want to get involved, you can call us on 1890 for 30 cent and we can get you on the air with our experts who today I'm delighted to say are Brendan Costello from Talk Financial in Galway and Andrew Fahey of Investec. Guys, you're both very welcome to the studio uh, and thank you for coming in with us uh, today. Now, let's start off generally just talking about the whole area of saving because I know, like I hear from people all the time, oh, I've no money, you know, nobody's any money, I'm, oh, you know, I spend everything I have. But in reality, the Irish are fantastic savers. There's a hundred billion euros sitting on deposit. Uh, post offices, bank accounts, credit unions, um, and they're, and it's earning nothing really. And is it just that we're saving it in the wrong place or are we scared? Andrew. Hi Sinead. Um, well I suppose the key, the key point really is that the, you know, the, the sands have fundamentally shifted for, for savers over the last number of years. You know, gov- government policy and EU policy and global government policy is really against savers. You know, a lot of us in this country are used to, you know, maybe in the, the good old days earning, you know, 2%, 3%, 4%, maybe even 5% for cash deposits. We're conditioned for that. But at the moment, you know, somebody maybe is lucky to get zero or get a half a percent. You know, it's a fundamentally different environment we live in. So that, that hundred billion that, that, that you refer to, I think people have to be, you know, to be prepared that maybe the next five, 10, 15, maybe even 20 years, you know, the next generation, that there will be very little real return from those savings. And, and that's the important point. You know, people don't necessarily need to look at the headline rate. It's the real rate of return that you've got to focus on, which is after inflation. So if the rate is zero and the inflation rate is 2%, you're losing purchasing power each year. I think that's a, a really yeah. key point. You're kind of, so, so you're, you're paying the banks to mind your money. And in fact, the banks don't really want it because they are being charged negative interest rates to mind it. Brendan, what is the answer to all this? What should we be doing with spending it? <laughs> Uh, first of all, hi, Sinead. Thank you for having us here. Um, <clears throat> yeah, it's it's a very difficult um, uh, issue to discuss, I think, at the moment, because, as Andrew says, um, the environment uh, is both anti-deposit, but it's also quite anti-investment. Uh, so, for example, if you are to con- if you were to look at investing money at the moment, the taxation treatment on any profit is significantly more onerous than it is on your deposit account in this the bank. This is dirt tax you're talking uh, about. Dirt tax yeah. versus exit tax, absolutely. So you pay more you pay more tax on your on your invested profit than you pay on the interest rate, and yet the interest rate in the deposit account is virtually nil. When you factor in inflation, it is pretty much nil. I think though the part of the problem is that the Irish consumer in general, so many of us were so badly burned in the crash of two thousand and eight, running through two thousand and ten and eleven, uh, that they are only now regaining their confidence because they now have saved money, and ironically, it's it's almost counterintuitive. They've now saved money. And they're looking at investments at the wrong time. For in fact, we should have been looking at investments 10 years ago when prices were on the floor. And of course, there's probably a little bit of hoarding going on only out of fear. Do you know, people don't know what's around the corner. Mm. People are worried about Brexit and negative interest rates and all that kind of thing. Okay, well, listen, we're going to try and get through as many queries as we have from our listeners. We have had a ton of them in today um, because people are concerned about this, you know, and they are they are worried about what to do with 
their money. Uh, so the first is uh, we have one texter in. I'm looking to put money aside for my children when they're 21. Uh, they're four and two years old now. Is putting money aside in the bank the best option? Credit union or are there funds I should be looking at? Uh, 21, right. Well, they'll be out of college at that stage. So lucky, lucky kids. So you're looking at a 20 year period. That's a fairly good long time for, for investing somewhere, Brendan, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think that, that you know, one of the issues that needs to be um, highlighted in a question like this is the difference between saving and investing. Um, and as a financial industry, you know, for years we have pooled those two labels into one and it's completely wrong. Uh, nobody did it deliberately, but it is completely wrong because savings and investments do not, uh, do not cross over whatsoever. Um, in relation to the actual, to the, to the caller and to the query that that person has, you know, they have a 20 year window or maybe more because the two children are four Born and two. two. So if you take, for example, that if the youngest child uh, uh, attains university at, say, 18, that's a 14-year window between now and then. And if the, uh, sorry, if the oldest child, if the youngest child at two were to finish college in about 20 years' time, there's your 20-year window. So there's a very, very long period of time there whereby if they were to be only saving in, say, you know, a regular monthly savings account in the bank or credit union, they're getting between maybe 1% and about 1.82% uh, on their money at a time when inflation is running at 1% and dirt is running at a third of that again. So what's a better way to invest for your kids' future? Oh, I think that without any doubt that if you have longevity, as this, as this caller clearly has, uh, that investing as opposed to saving is 100% the right answer. So you're talking there, what, about a Unilink bond, an insurance company, yeah, going to a broker or something like yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, th- th- there's a time in place for, for convention. Uh, uh, as an industry, the financial industry has not always been its own best PR uh, uh, body, but convention for someone like that with a 15 to 20 year window whereby they're buying into markets and a variety of assets for all those years on a monthly basis, they will undoubtedly do at least reasonably okay and certainly okay relative to deposits. Right, okay. Right, we have another texter in here. Um, Chris has been on uh, to say with volatility in the markets, notwithstanding a significant increase in profits in corporate America, are stock markets overvalued now? He's saying on a price to earning valuation basis. Well, there's posh language for you. Andrew, are the markets overvalued? Can people still get markets or should they just shy away from it now? Well, no, I mean, <clears throat> the key question with it, with any, for any individual is what's your time horizon and what does your overall financial position look like? I mean, a- anyone who, who claims to know what markets will look like in six months time or a year's time you know, is, is, you, should, you should be very wary of that. So the key point is, what is the time horizon? You know, to, to, go, to go back even to that, to that first query, we were looking at perhaps a 19-year time horizon for that youngest child. You know, so when you look at a time horizon like that, you look at volatility in markets over periods of time like that, you know, it's reasonably safe to assume that that individual should do pretty okay over a time horizon like that. So the key question is, what are the client circumstances? What are the individual circumstances? And what, what's the purpose of the money? Is it surplus cash to provide for retirement? Or does somebody need it in a year's time for, as a deposit for a house? If you need it in a year's time, keep it in cash. But if you have a, a time horizon like that, like that first example... Well, then investment yeah. is probably the right approach. And of course, there, there's none of these that are risk free in the sense that if you're going to start investing in stocks and shares and bonds and all that, you're, you're going to have to take a risk. There's no, it's not going to be, you know, 100% certain. So that timeline doesn't matter because you get those returns smoothed out. Absolutely. But you also, I suppose people also have to be, to be mindful of, well, well, what is risk? You know, if it's if it's merely volatility, then the time horizon should make that go away. I think there is a, you know, there is a fundamental issue of people overlearning the mistakes of the past. You know, people who maybe had single stock investments yeah. in Ireland, people who were just invested in property, very, very bad outcomes. 
people people who've invested in a in a global way, in a diversified mm-hmm. way, over time. They, they do fine. Okay, okay. And that's why the pension funds do so well. Right, okay. Uh, we have a caller on the line. Caller, a question uh, about windfall. Rory uh, is on the line. Rory, what's your question for our experts? Hi, yeah. I have a kind of a general enough question, but um, I was recently gifted a, a lump sum by my godparents and I'm getting advice from all over about how best to spend this. Splurge it, it on a holiday or uh, you put it in the credit union or put it in the bank but uh, I'm normally quite careful with money so I would like to invest it but um, it's a couple of thousand euros so I, I'd like a kind of a, an idea from your guests about what might be a, a good way to invest it and, and get some kind of return in the long term on it. Okay. Well, so Rory has a bit of money there. It sounds like he wasn't expecting it so that's a nice treat and maybe doesn't need it uh, in the long term. What would your advice be? Brendan, go ahead. Sure. Um, <clears throat> well, I suppose there's a, there's a number of different things that have to be considered here for the caller. Um, you know, does he have any other resources is the first obvious one. Uh, he wasn't expecting the money in. Um, therefore, the money clearly is not earmarked for any particular purpose in the future. So it is more than likely freely available. I think you're right. You know, there's a time and place to enjoy life as well. Um, so certainly I would be looking in, at the short term to see from a lifestyle perspective, are there things that might make your life a bit more comfortable? Um, there might be the wedding you want, that you want to go to in, in Australia, you might want to change the car, you might want to do something that you've been holding off on for the last 10 or 15 years. If the money is truly available and whereby the, the, the caller is, is both willing and in a position to allow funds to run, as Andrew rightly said, you cannot time the market. That caller is coming into the investment market at a relatively expensive time, but that expensive time will become good value in future. So if, if, it, if he is open to, to long-term uh, investment without a guarantee, then the time is always right to do it. Right, OK. And I suppose paying down debt, if he had any I know, credit card sitting out there or term loan Absolutely. or something, would be a good idea if you're allowed to do that. Okay. In fact, it's probably just a very brief point yeah. on that Sinead I think it's very important that paying down debt is always considered it's not the most attractive thing for the advisor oh, to say it's not, but fun, it's, not is it? it's not but you know <laughs> at the same time if you look for example if you got say a credit card debt and you're paying say 16 or 18 percent well find me an investment that will give you a net return in excess of that and we'll all become millionaires very quickly so paying down debt is absolutely the right thing to do yeah and, and of course you're freeing up that monthly amount that you would yeah. have been sending to visa or whoever it is sure. as well yeah. as paying off the debt Brent, Brendan's absolutely right I mean you you know, you've got to rank these things and, and then knock them off. You know, pay down debt in the first instance because it's a guaranteed return. Then maybe second, you know, second, you'd look at pension contributions because you're investing in a you know tax efficient way. And then you know, thir- thirdly, you would look at investing in your personal name because, as we highlighted earlier on, there are issues with investing in your personal name from a tax perspective. So pension should be prioritised and paying down debt. Okay, all right, lots to do there uh, for Rory. I don't know if the money will stretch quite that far, but uh, hopefully he'll have a good time finding out. All right, we've another caller on the line. Kevin is here. Kevin, uh, you're 56 and uh, you have some savings and you want to know what to do with it. Yes, please. I have no debt. Good. I'm single, as you say. I'm 56. I have £40,000 in the bank and I'm going to work for another 12 years. What can I do with it? Okay, so you've no debt, so that's a fantastic position to be in. Um, and you have 40000 and another 12 years. So are you earmarking this? This is be earmarked towards your pension? Towards it, yeah. But I want to... to I, I looked at it there a couple of weeks ago and it's actually gone down to 39200 Oh, right. Actually, you know, it's, if you know what I mean. So I want to use it in yeah. the next 12, 10 years if I can. Of course. And we're willing to leave it there for 10 years. Right. OK, so a good amount of savings time. period. We'll ask our experts now. Andrew, any advice there um, for Kevin? 
Well, well, my sense is, you know, firstly, well done for for, for being debt free. Um, I think with you know ten years to go to retirement, it's really time to focus on a on a retirement plan, and to look at that forty thousand and maybe is there an opportunity to make what are called AVCs, you know, to or to contribute to something like a PRSA if there isn't a pension scheme there. These are additional contributions, voluntary addition, contributions you put towards to make additional pension. contributions. Okay. So I think it has to it has to you know form part of form part of Rory's uh, or overall okay. plan or Kevin's yeah. overall uh, financial plan his retirement plan. It's really important to to, to look at. His expenditure profile now, what his expenditure profile in retirement will look like to look, to address any shortfall and then to look at an investment plan for for the pension fund to see can it support the lifestyle that, that he would like to have in, in retirement. And of course, Brendan, there's a tax benefit from putting that money in a pension because at 56, you can put in quite a lot of, of what would be income and still get kind of get tax mm. relief on it, isn't that right? Yeah, absolutely. He can put in up as far as 35% of his uh, of his taxable income um, in his late 50s and get full tax relief on it. So if he's paying at the higher rate of income tax, for example, he'll get 40% of any investment back yeah. through his pension. Not to mention the fact that something that's often oftentimes missed is that the pension funds themselves will also grow, well, assuming that they grow, <laughs> that they will grow free of all tax pre-retirement. So there's a couple of substantial tax benefits for him there. Okay, all right. Well, there's a couple of ideas uh, to consider, Kevin, and um, I hope that you uh, you get some ideas there. Uh, we've another text in. I've a lump sum saved of a €15,000. Having wrapped up my mortgage and got the kids out of the house in the last few years, well done, I know how that feels, how best to invest it? 15000 Now, this texture doesn't say you know what age is, but I expect we can we can probably read between the lines and, and possibly our early fifties or, or or thereabouts. Um, Fifteen thousand now. You, if you're investing that much, I know it's not a massive amount of money, and and maybe you'll want to keep it a little bit safe. What what kind of thing could you do with with funds like that, Andrew? Well, I think again, it'd be important to look at their you know their their individual circumstances, the family balance sheet, to see what level of other assets are there, but. You know, the first thing again, probably to look at is, is is pension funding, retirement provision. Assuming that that assuming that that's in place, well, then I think you know it's 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 it would be important to also look and see. Well, does the individual have cash reserves, have sufficient savings to cover emergencies, etc. Thereafter, I think it's about risk profiling the client, understanding those individuals, the family, their appetite for risk. Can they handle the volatility of a of a of a a share-based investment or do they need to layer in other assets into into their investment portfolio? It's really all about the client understanding the individual, understanding their overall circumstances and then deciding structurally where should they invest? Should it be via pension? Should it be in their individual names? Should they look at maybe supporting their children if there's a requirement to do that? Because none of us know what the, what the future holds in terms of expenditure, in terms of medical expenditure, in terms of retirement. It's, it's, it's important to, to, to plan. Okay. Well, listen, um, some, some good advice there. Coming up after the ad break, we answer your questions about cryptocurrency and saving for the children's future. Uh, we'll take an ad break now. You're listening to The Hard Shoulder with me, Sinead Ryan, sitting in for Ivan this week and we are doing the consumer call-in and today it's all about investments. I'm joined in studio by our experts, Brendan Costello from Talk Financial and Andrew Fahey from Investech. Now, we're getting a whole range of queries in on uh, saving for education, saving for college. Um, We have... uh, People texting, I've saved most of my children's allowance for college. They're teenagers now. It's in the post office. I'm a single mom. Am I going to have enough? Uh, Adrian texted in, um, just looking at best option, where to save or invest child benefit for a college fund. Now, that's the kind of thing you don't want to be taking too much of a risk with, isn't it, guys? 
Well, I think Sinead, it, again, it depends. It depends entirely on the on the, uh, on the on those parent circumstances, and the big issue there will always be the timeline. Uh, so, for example, if your children are in their teens and you're expecting to to require access in two or three or four years, then absolutely safety is the way forward, even if it means that you're not going to get much or indeed any gain. In the bank. Absolutely. But if it is a case that you take a longer term view because your children are younger, or indeed one of the things we would always encourage the parents to do is to consider not the starting point of education, but the end point. So your eldest child might well be starting university in three years' time, but your youngest child might not be finishing a university for 12 years. So for at least some of your children, you still have a 12-year window to invest as opposed to save. Oh, crikey. Right. Um, that's an awful long time. You kind of think they'll be out the door by then and maybe paying you back a bit of money. Um, Andrew, when it comes to uh, that monthly regular savings as opposed to investing a lump sum, are the rules different? There are. Well, they are. I mean, I suppose... If, if, we're, if we're talking about, say, investing for children and investing for education, you know, there are a couple of things to there are a couple of things to consider. I mean, it's important to to note, you know, it's okay from a tax perspective, from a from a gift and inheritance tax perspective, for parents to pay for education, etc. So there are no real real tax consequences to that. But you know, what it, what is important to consider is, for example, that the, the tax treatment of the underlying investment. Now, there are dedicated products out there for regular saving through a lot of the life companies where, you know, you can invest a monthly amount and you can invest it in you, the manner of your choosing. It can be in the stock market or it can be cash or it can be somewhere in between. But what you do have to look at is the, is the, 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 the tax treatment of the underlying investments. I mean, we, we, we both highlighted earlier on that can be quite unfavourable. Like the return, whether it's capital gains or income on those investments, it's taxed at 41%. And how do you know, like, uh, do, do you have to be told up front or uh, like, uh, of course, that could change because Pascal Rudin, who could make a totally different decision in the next budget. It just seems unfair that you, you pay tax on your money, you invest it and then you're whacked for tax again at the other end. Yeah, no, it is. It is. It is quite challenging. And, and the, the, you know, as a, an environment for investors in a personal capacity, the pension piece is quite is quite generous and generous relative to the UK. But for personal investing, it is quite unfavorable. So. I suppose the investor and the individual has to be quite careful how he or she invests and to, to, to make sure that it's going to be okay from a tax perspective. And to give you a real example, you know, for somebody who, say, is a, is a lower rate taxpayer, 20% taxpayer, well, if they invest surplus funds and they're paying tax at 41%, like that's not a great outcome. There are other ways that that person could invest where they would be taxed at, taxed at a lower rate. It is a minefield. It's why it's important to, to, to get good advice. Yeah, okay. Right. Well, I mean, you can't blame people then for trying to be inventive, trying to make a book and looking at alternative ways to invest their money. And Lena sent us in a text to say, how risky are investments in Bitcoin versus more traditional investments such as property? Oh, gosh. Okay. Bitcoin, cryptocurrency. Guys, knock yourselves out. <laughs> what do you think, Brendan? <clears throat> Well, I mean, I think the answer is very simple. I think that Bitcoin and, and, and the likes are a huge risk, but that's not to say that it shouldn't happen. It's not to say that people should avoid them. Some people are making an absolute fortune on it. Well, I think it is, that is the exact point, is that in order to uh, be able to be exposed to make a fortune, you've got to take on that level of risk. Uh, there are a number of challenges with the whole cryptocurrency environment, and, and it's not for a second to dismiss uh, um, that aspect of investing at all, because the way we seem to be going 
for the futures into a cashless society anyway. There's a very, very strong online economy globally. It's, it's, it has its own risks between fraud and being hacked and so on, but that's the nature of any, of any, of any risk or of any um, investment. But I do think that to compare, for example, cryptocurrency investing with conventional property investing is absolutely chalk and cheese. They're okay. totally unrelated. Okay, so maybe start with the small stuff first. Yeah, okay, absolutely. last question uh, before we go to the news headlines. Uh, Texter has received an inheritance of 250000 with a, they have a mortgage of 330,000 and two kids. I'd say the two kids are as expensive as the mortgage. Any ideas? So I, I presume this is a question about pay off the mortgage, pay down mm-hmm. the debt or do something fun with it. Yeah, I suppose the first, <clears throat> it's a very interesting question and it's one you see reasonably regularly. Well, the first thing is what rate is that mortgage at? Is it a legacy tracker mortgage, for example? I mean, there are mortgages out there at a half a percent. So the question is, what is the rate? Typically, it's not that, and it's a higher rate, could be 3% there or thereabouts. So, I mean, I think we, we mentioned it earlier on. In cases like that, you know, there's a very strong argument for paying down debt with those funds. Now, having said that, the individual does have young children. They're probably, I'm guessing, you know, there mightn't be a whole lot of surplus cash around prior to the receipt of that inheritance. So my sense, you know, without knowing the precise circumstances of the individual, my sense is you'd look to keep some cash for emergencies in reserve because with young kids and expenses and all of those things, who knows what can happen day to day. So you might keep maybe three to six months worth of household expenditure in cash, just in a credit union, just an emergency in the bank. But I think if it was me, I'd be looking at paying down a significant portion of that mortgage, provided it's not it's not on a tracker. Because, the, you know, the idea of being mortgage-free relatively young gives someone incredible freedom to focus on things like pension funding, etc. It does. And you know what? You always hear people, even people who win the lotto and everything, the first thing, it doesn't matter how many millions they win, the first thing they say is, I'll be able to pay off the mortgage. So, yeah. so people do like to do that. All right. OK, great idea there. Uh, we have lots and lots of other texts and calls coming in. Uh, 53106 if you want to get involved. And for now, we'll go to the news headlines. And you're listening to The Consumer Call In with me, Sinead Ryan. We are talking all things investments. We have experts in studio, but we also sent our intrepid reporter, Henry Keane, out to interview people about their investments and what they are doing with their money. What's the difference between investments and savings? I haven't a clue. I don't have a clue. Do you have any savings? No. Any investments? No. Do you have any money under the pillow or under the mattress for a rainy day? No. Nothing? No, nothing at all. I know this is very personal. How much money do you have in the whole world altogether? Nothing really. Maybe a hundred, that's better. What's the difference yeah, between investments and savings? Only clue. And are you a saver? Sometimes, yeah. And how much do you have saved? Probably about 200. 200,000? No. I wish. 200 euro? Yeah. And have you ever thought about, you know, investing in stocks or shares or anything like that? No. And would you like to have more money in your back pocket, more money in the bank? I would, yeah. How much would you like? What would make you feel comfortable? Enough to get out of this country. And what country would you like to go to? Spain. Fire walk. So you'd open a bar? Yeah. That's the dream? Yeah. What's the difference between savings and investments? Okay, well, to me, savings is a... You know, protection for your everyday life uh, in terms of, um, you know, what you need, your needs. And also investment is a long-term uh, protection for yourself and family, I guess. So, yeah. <laughs> Do you have much savings? No. 
<laughs> no, I have a little bit of money in the post office, that's all I have. Just a little bit of money, in the, bit of money in the post just office. Just to get that's you right. by. That's right. Yeah. So not hundreds of thousands. No of indeed, and not even a thousand. Not even a thousand. No. I'm not I'm not a spender, that's for sure. You see I am a Catholic nun. So, you know, we we live simply so that others may simply live. Currently saving for a house, so I'm living at home in a granny flat. You have a granny flat? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, my mum and dad um, live next door. My granny lived in it for 26 years, and then myself my husband moved in. I'm happy enough, but I've been in it for, like, three years now, so we're, like... Just... How's the saving going? Yeah, it's going good. It's steady enough, but we're still not where we need to be just yet. OK, a full range of opinions there. Lots of people have no money at all, um, but we know that lots of people uh, indeed do, so uh, we'll continue with the advice here. Uh, now, we have a caller on the line, Paul, who has a question for our experts. Hi, Paul. Hi, Philip. What's your question? Yes, um, I can retire at 55 uh, with a pension from the public sector. Um, and I'm wondering, can I re- reinvest that lump sum uh, on retirement until I am 68? And continue working? And continue working from 55 to 68, yes. Okay, so Brendan... Um that's Paul has a the, the lump sum. He's he's going to retire one way or the other because he's public sector. Mm. I presume he can take that lump sum and and do what he likes. But there might be a tax implication, maybe for the working. Yeah, I mean, there'll be a few considerations really. The first one is um, can he can he continue to fund pension after he retired from public sector at fifty five? Yes, he can. Once he's earning, uh, that's the that's the key issue. Once he's earning and he's generating income tax, he can therefore obviously pay pay into further pension through new employment and get his tax credits accordingly. Uh, the question about should he use his lump sum is a different question altogether because that lump sum is now tax-free. So if he were to then put that lump sum back into pension, it becomes only partly tax-free when he comes out of it at the far end. So uh, he, he he might be somewhat counterintuitive if he were to do that with the lump sum itself. You know, ta- tax-free, tax-paid money in your hand is always is always a valuable asset. If he puts it back into his pension and he reintroduces that money back into the tax system, mm. I don't think that would be the, the wisest thing for him to do. So maybe continue working for a bit and put some of that income in towards uh, the next pension, if you like, or, or maybe one at 68. Correct. By all means, use his future income for future pension funding, but then enjoy the tax-free status of the money he's gotten from his public sector job. That sounds very much to me like they're telling you to spend it, Paul. <laughs> Or invest it in something. <laughs> well, good just for clarity, he can he can indeed invest it as well, obviously. Yeah. But he can invest it on a personal level, not necessarily. Through not pension. through a pension yeah. fund. Okay, you'll only be messing up with the tax system, and sure, nobody wants to do that. All right, Paul. Thank you very much for that. Indeed, uh, we've another caller in. Uh, my dad, who's a widower, has over three hundred thousand in savings currently in bank accounts, but predominantly in on post certs and bonds. He is currently in his seventies. Is leaving it here the best option? He doesn't want to take any risks in case he has health care needs later on. 300,000, it is a lot, but somebody in their 70s, Andrew? It, it is, it absolutely is a lot of money. Um, I suppose the, the, the question in this case, and, you know, the, the, the caller, the texture has highlighted, you know, comes down to the risk tolerance of the individual. I mean, ultimately, if he does not want to take any risk and cannot handle any volatility with, you know, with that 300,000, then it probably should stay in cash. There obviously is the you know, there are other considerations to look at things like fair deal, etc. You know, what are the fair deal implications for somebody who may need longer term care? What are the tax implications? Obviously, things like nursing home expenses can be tax deductible, both for him or for other family members. You know, I suppose once you if you can get a more overall 
sense of the the, the family's wealth, the, mm. the overall picture, the, t- the tax considerations, then somebody could make a, a reasonable recommendation. But ultimately, it comes down to an individual's ability to take on volatility, ability yeah. to take on risk. It sounds to me like if somebody persuaded, and that would be you know the wrong thing to do, persuaded this individual to invest yeah. that, you know, the first sign of volatility, the individual would cash in and turn temporary loss into a permanent loss. Okay, so maybe going to visit a financial advisor and just mm. paying for that advice you know, where you're not going to be, you know, swung one way or the other and just look at the at the picture. All right. OK. Uh, one last question then before the break. How to deal with a big windfall? I will have two million uh, euros in cash from the sale of a land that I inherited. I work hard, but I've no idea about investments. What advice do you have? Well, I suppose the first thing is you're going to have a tax bill, depending on how who you inherited that from. Isn't that right? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And the first issue is indeed tax, uh, capital gains tax or otherwise, depending on how... Revenue will get it long before the investment (coughs) advisor. Revenue will always get their slice. (laughs) And in case they're listening, they're very much entitled to it. But uh, (laughs) but on a more serious note, yeah, depending on what what the the net proceeds are, obviously, there's several considerations, as um, Andrew alluded to before, the whole attitude towards risk, uh, previous investment experience, etc. But one one of the big things to remember... It's an old phrase that you got from rural Ireland many years ago. They're not making any more land. Having sold the land, he could very well spend or invest and potentially lose the money. And then he's got no land to fall back on. So that caller needs to be very careful as to how he decides to manage whatever is the net proceeds. And certainly, going back to your previous point, getting proper fee-based advice that is not biased towards encouraging him to invest into one aspect or another is the right thing to do. Right, OK. All right, we have one further uh, caller on the line. Rob is on the line. Um, Rob, you have a query about an investment as well. What do you want to ask our experts? Hi, how are you doing? Um, sorry, no, I've... I've just come into, um, I've, I've got about 45,000 euros uh, sitting on deposit and obviously uh, it's not it's not gaining any interest in, in kind of deposits in Ireland at the moment. And I was kind of considering ways that I, I might be able to kind of make that m- money work a little bit harder for myself. I've got a mortgage of about 270,000 with about 20 years left on it and I've got a small kind of credit union loan of about 7,000. So it's just one of What's the best way to invest that money? Would it be put it off the mortgage, uh, clear off any outstanding debt okay. uh, in a credit union, or would it be to kind of invest it long term in a diverse portfolio or maybe in property or something like that? Okay, that's, um, a, that's a really good question, Rob. And I think you're like most people. Lots of us, Andrew, carry debt and have savings. And, and there's no dichotomy there. It really just only becomes foolish if you're, if you're paying high interest or, or you're not matching it off properly. Yeah, probably. I mean, based on those circumstances, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have the 45,000 sitting in cash and to be carrying the credit union loan and the mortgage. So, I mean, the first thing, you know, subject to seeing, you know, the individual circumstance will be to clear the credit union loan. It's likely that that's costing between six and 10 percent. The question then is, do you, you know, do you, do you take a chunk off the mortgage? You got to look at the rate that's applicable to the mortgage. Would paying down the mortgage bring the person into a lower LTV band, for example? Would it bring, get, deliver a cheaper rate? Question then is, you know, in terms of an emergency fund, does that individual have other cash savings or not? You know, it is important to have to have cash there in reserve for emergencies. So, you know, the right answer might necessarily to be use all of it to 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 to, sure. to throw towards the mortgage. It's probably about striking a balance. Okay, so Rob, pay down the small debt and and maybe divvy it out a little bit and and put some money by. How do you feel about that? Yeah, yeah, I suppose it's 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 trying to get the best bang for your buck rather than just leave it uh, leave it kind of um uh, kind of I, I 
depreciate in value and, and what you can actually buy in it over over seven or eight yeah. years, you know. So well, you're certainly so, not, yeah, so, not getting um, anywhere. It is that's for sure. No, it, it's just sitting there. All not. right. Well, hopefully, hopefully you'll make a good decision on that. All right. Um, okay. Our experts, uh, Andrew Fahey and Brendan Costello, are staying with me, and we'll be back after this. And this is the Hard Shoulder with me, Sinead Ryan, sitting in for Ivan this week and our consumer call-in today is all about investments and savings. We have uh, Andrew and Brendan in studio as our experts. Uh, now, we're getting quite a lot of calls about people inquiring about peer-to-peer lending. This is where you put, can be quite a small amount of money and you invest it in a middleman company that then lends it on to small businesses, which they say are vetted and you can get a better return than in the banks. Is it a good idea or is it too risky? Brendan. Yeah, I mean, it's just something that we had mentioned um, um, uh, offline uh, before for the, the programme began. Um, my own view is I think the peer-to-peer lending is a much much greater risk than people might realise. Uh, Andrew made a very good point at the start, uh, whereby we were saying that in most cases, this is commercial lending whereby the banks had already declined. And so therefore, the investor needs to understand they're taking on the risk that an institution refused. So it is, it's not to say that it's not without merit. It absolutely is. But the right place, right time for the right person. But it is certainly on the higher scale of risk. So somebody else's high interest rate could be your high return, but it, it, they're kind of subprime to begin with, or, or, or at least for a reason. 100%. I mean, the reason why uh, uh, you might be offered a significantly higher return on your money than, say, the banks would give in your deposit is, is a reflection, it's a direct reflection on that risk. Why would somebody offer you 8 or 9% return if they can borrow from the bank at 3 or 4? So it's a reflection on the significantly higher risk that's okay. at stake. Okay, all right, okay. Uh, now we've another texter, actually we've a couple of texts in, uh, asking, I, I get this as a perennial question myself, Andrew, uh, is gold a good investment? <coughs> the old stalwart, the kind of... Uh, take it out of your teeth and stick it in the bank. <laughs> Where is gold at at the moment? Do you know? Should it matter? Well, I suppose my my own, my own personal view is I'm you know I'm not, I'm not a fan. Um, it, it doesn't generate any income. You know, people seem to view it as a, as a as a hedge or protection against some form of Armageddon. But I suppose in a, in an Armageddon scenario where people are wandering the streets with uh, pickaxes, you know, yellow metal isn't going to be much good to people. Um, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a cliche to quote Warren Buffett when people talk about about investments, but he does have some 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 wise words. One I one I read a while ago, he basically said if you took if you take all the gold in the world, you could make a cube the sides of which are sixty seven feet long and wide. Okay, wow. it'd be worth okay. about worth about seven trillion dollars. So you could stand there looking at it, or you could take your seven trillion dollars and buy all the farmland in the U.S. producing food and agricultural products you could buy the seven biggest companies in the US and you could keep a trillion dollars of walking around money and his view is he prefers that productive assets than something that's nice to look at and perhaps a fictional hedge against an Armageddon that hopefully will never happen such an unromantic view I have to say for me there's only one way to invest in gold and that is wear it (laughs) and maybe people should start with that okay we have um, uh, Frank from Kildare has been on he's 52 year old self-employed sole trader maxing his tax relief by putting 10,000 a year into his private pension but he has a surplus of disposable income of also 10,000 at the end of the year. What would our experts' recommendations be as to how to invest it? So he's doing the right thing, Brendan. He's whacking it into the pension. Mm. He's getting as much as he can. He has 10 grand left over. Mm. Well, I mean, the only advantage of pension funding over non-pension funding is the actual tax break. So 
your your caller clearly has bought in not just to the tax break. I'm hoping, but the longer term uh, benefit of retirement funding for his own his own future uh, financial security. So that hasn't changed just because there might not be a tax break on his surplus ten thousand euro. So if it is if it is completely available, whereby it's not a earmark for anything else, he's addressed all the other facets of his own life in terms of education, funding, if he has children, and so on and so forth. And that money is is freely available. Given the way the market is today, I would suggest him that he does not do a ten thousand lump sum investment but he considers doing seven or eight hundred euros a month investment instead whereby he's buying into market volatility he's buying into the expensiveness of the market currently and he's going to get what we would call cost price averaging whereby over the next six seven eight years he would have he would have bought you know a hundred months worth of different prices and hopefully on balance it will come out in his favor okay so stop seeing it like a lump sum of ten thousand and maybe see it as as a monthly amount that you can, you can throw in okay and don't be swayed only by the tax benefits of, yeah. of investing in a pension all right okay uh, we have another caller on the line andrew uh, and a different andrew Andrew, what is your question for our experts? Hi, Sinead. Uh, how do I even begin to look at stocks and investments? It's a world that makes very little sense to me at all, but I do find it very interesting. So where should I start? Well, it is very interesting, but it's not for the vain hearted, Andrew. <clears throat> no, I think it's, 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 it's something really that caught, and you might say, I would say this and Brendan would say it, but it's, it's important to get good advice, to get independent advice, unbiased advice. You know, this is not something, I mean, we would see this pretty regularly. People, you know, by by virtue of their lives, they're time poor by, by, by its nature, you know, with family, with work, etc. They just don't have the time to, to look at this type of thing. And, you know, the idea of someone sitting at home on their own, analysing individual companies, trying to make decisions, trying to beat the market, it's just not really plausible. You know, somebody needs to get to get good advice and think about all of the aspects of a financial plan. The investment piece probably is a secondary consideration. The first thing to look at is the financial planning, the tax efficiency, the structure. You know, can you pay down debt? Do you have a mortgage? Are you saving to buy a house? All of those things before you actually look at things like, well, what individual company should I buy? And for most people, they should be going down a fund route, a collectives route where they're buying you know, an individual equity fund and rather than And using somebody else's companies. expertise yes. rather Absolutely, than yeah. trying to second guess the market. And yet, like, you see there's these online courses, you know, to become an investor in six weeks, double your money, you know, mm. and, and people telling you what stocks to buy and how to how to do all that. You, you've, you don't have time for them. I think the less said about those, the better. Oh, right. OK. Um, that, that's enough said. All oh, right. OK. Um, now, uh, so how to, let's see now, we have another uh, question here. We're uh, Caller is expecting a lump sum of 200,000 next year, um, pr- presumably either, I don't know, a gift or inheritance or maybe a fund coming through. Is it preferable to pay off 50% of a 30-year mortgage or invest in a rental property? Guys, we're getting an awful lot of questions in about property. People love it. They want to buy it. They want to invest in it. What are the ways that you can invest property without buying house? Brendan. Yeah, I think it's it's it has become <clears throat> a very very uh, hot topic in the last couple of years, uh, and again, it's coming at a time it's at, it's at a completely wrong time in the market. The market, uh, it, it would seem, has peaked or certainly very close to peaking. Certainly on the residential side at the moment, we've seen where in Dublin for the last four or five months, property prices have fallen marginally. Commercial property is still powering ahead to a degree, but that's also based on other factors like Brexit and so on. I think personally, uh, I think the buying property as an individual for investment, I would not advise it whatsoever, especially today. 
especially consider you can buy, for example, a property fund from any of the major investment companies who are all bonded and regulated, and you'll get 50 to 1,500 properties at your disposal for a charge of about 1 to 1.25% a year. So you put your €100,000 into a property fund, global exposure, global property asset exposure from uh, office and retail and wholesale and land banks and so on, and on €100,000, it's going to cost you €1,500 a year with no debt and with no liability. So to my mind, buying property, that is the only way to go for that person. And we do hear from time to time that, that you know, the landlords, lobby groups mm. saying that people are exiting the market in droves. It's very mm. expensive to be a landlord at the moment because like over half of any income you get is going to be swiped in tax. But the tax on those funds is quite high too. Well, the tax on your non-pension uh, property investment funds is whereby you pay your 41% exit tax uh, either every 80 years or whenever, whenever you decide to actually cash out the fund. But given the fact that we can never avoid tax on profits anyway, that's just the way that it is. If you were to buy your property yourself, you'll pay your capital gains tax on any net profit, which at a lower rate is 33%. But look at all the headaches and liabilities and costs you had in the process. And of course, the higher risk of only being invested in only one property. Right, yeah, Andrew. I just, I'd just i make the observation on that because I think the, the, the individual said that they've 30 years left on the mortgage. So you could infer from that it's not a tracker. It's probably at 3%. So by paying that back, it's a it's an after tax guaranteed after tax return of about three percent. Very difficult to get that. It's also important, I think, for the individual maybe to diversify away from Ireland. You know, we're all very exposed to Ireland Inc. That the property yeah. market, our jobs are here. If that individual was really wedded to the idea of buying more property, I think listed REITs, European type stuff, might 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 okay. might make and sense. Okay, REIT is re, you know those real, real estate, estate investment, investment trusts. So property funds. All right, okay. Um, and I'll finish off with an email uh, that we got in from Jer. My wife and myself are very different when it comes to investing. My wife is safe and would prefer to put the money in the bank on deposit. I understand it's done over long term, and I'm prepared to take the ups and downs in the market. How do I get my wife to see investing as a good thing? Jer, buy her a gold necklace. I think that's. The sum up from the invest in gold and give it to her and, and leave the money in the bank perhaps is is uh, my very unscientific advice on that. All right. And my thanks to Bre- Brendan Costello from Talk Financial and Andrew Fahey from Investec for their absolutely superb advice today to all our guests. That's it for today's show. My thanks to the production team, Dan Flanagan, Alex Rousseau and Roisin Davis and Peter Malloy was on sound. And don't forget you can catch up with anything from the last two weeks of the consumer call-in that you might have missed from home renovations to mortgage to pensions by checking out newstalk.com forward slash podcasts. Tomorrow, I'm expecting a hairy one. We're answering all your questions when it comes to insurance, travel, health, house and everything in between. Get your questions in to 53106 or email the hard shoulder at newstalk.com. And thank you once again uh, for listening to us today.